Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, everyone. You're blessed. Yeah, Jane and I were at a wedding yesterday, so we're a bit zonkoed. And um, the the wedding was held in the village that we that we live in. And uh, we thought we'd get a bit clever, you know, and we thought we'd leave the wedding early, just because we'd be ready for today. And then we <laughs> worked out that the wedding was in the village. And so we continued to have the wedding pumped into our bedroom uh, across the road uh, into the night. And so if we look a bit zonkoed, well, we'll soon um, wake up uh, um, among you. Um, I want you to turn in your Bible, please, to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 8. And uh, I hope you're hungry uh, for the word. So um, please... Uh, Get ready with your Bible for a short time today. The title of my uh, message this morning to you is the, is the um, Evangelist and the Local Church. I want to um, say a few things about uh, the sharing of our, of our Christian faith. And uh, as a way of doing that, uh, a few weeks ago, I was here sharing on the prophet in the local church. And eventually, we'll actually get back to that in a bit. Um, but I, I want to use, and we, we spoke about Agabus, if any of you were here for that. Today, I want to talk about Philip, the evangelist, who is a, uh, a gospel preacher in the, in the book of Acts. And I want to use his life as an example. I think it's a great example, as you'll see, I hope of uh, someone who shared uh, the Christian faith with others. So, that said, Acts chapter 8, and I want to start to read the word of God from verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That was a good church, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh, Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria. doesn't say which city, but he went to a big place. And he proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil or unclean spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city, Uh, unless you were one of the demons, I suppose, (laughs) which case you had to find another city, didn't you? Verse 9, just a little example now for... Sometime a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power, known as the great power. 
Yeah, he's about to change his website, isn't he? Uh, they, they followed him because he had amazed them with his magic. But when they, verse 12, when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now, just come to verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. It's always good if the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, to do it quickly. Can you say amen? You know why he ran? Because he was afraid. He thought, I better obey now. Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked him. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading uh, From Isaiah 53, verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Verse 38, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Now just notice this. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. He was the first evangelist to go by air. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. Well, it's just great to read it, isn't it? Just great to read it. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about this word, evangelist. You know what an evangelist is, don't you? It's something that other people are called to be. Isn't that right? You know, well, I'm not really an evangelist. (laughs) You know, I'm just not, I'm just not that way. (laughs) Well, wake up and get that way. 
Get some boldness on you and uh, get going. Can you say amen? And uh, you only said amen because I told you to say amen. But you know, it's, it's, it's funny that, um, when you think about the word mission, uh, just within the vernacular of the English language, do you know that mission is the only thing we say that we do? So you wouldn't say, I'm going to go and, uh, you're not going to say, well, I'm going to do some teaching. I mean, maybe you would, but I'm going to do some apostolic work. But we do evangelism. The, I, the reason I'm saying that is there's this sense in which I switch it on and switch it off. I am doing the lawn. You know, I am doing the ironing, uh, which I really am. Um, I am doing evangelism, you know. And really, we're not human doings, are we? We are human beings. And so one of the journeys that any mature Christian has to go on, you can't avoid it, there's nothing, there's no get out clause, is that we should all do the work of the evangelist, right? So the word evangelist is used three times in the, um, in the New Testament. One to refer to Philip, and we'll get to that in a bit. The other time to in Ephesians 4.11 to refer to a gift ministry that Christ gives. And the third time is when Paul is writing to Timothy, who is generally considered to be a pastor. I think he, perhaps he might be an apostle. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. He isn't an evangelist as such. But Paul tells him to do the work of an evangelist. And um, I don't know whether you've ever been uh, in a job like I have where uh, you're suddenly on day one of a new job. In fact, this happened to me not so long ago. But day one of a new job and you just don't know what you are doing. Anyone ever been in that position? Now, there are no lawyers listening to this. You, you can say yes. Your boss isn't listening. But you had, you're, you're thrown in the deep end. Here I am doing this job, and I've found the only way to survive this terrible ordeal is to switch something in my head where I just pretend I've always done this. And it just seems to work. Oh, I've always done this job, and somehow I could bluff my way through it. Timothy may have had the same feeling when Paul told him to do the work of an evangelist. And so whether you feel called as an evangelist... Or whether you're just hearing the voice of God say to you that this is something you have to do the work of. Whether you feel skilled or whether you feel a novice on his or her first day having to kind of work it all out. We have to do the work of the evangelist. Philip, let me just open a bottle here. Philip uh, is the only evangelist that's sort of named. And so we're going to look at a few things in his life that I think will help us. And because uh, I enjoy preaching, everything begins with P, even if it shouldn't. You know what I mean? Number one, let's think about the word preparation. I don't know whether these are going to come up. I guess they are. The word preparation. Um, yeah. Preparation. If you thumb back in your Bible to Acts chapter 6, I want you to see that Before we get to this unnamed city in Samaria, before we get to the sorcerer going, wow, this guy's more powerful than I am, type, you know, the little story that we read. Before we get to him sitting with the eunuch and 
leading him to Christ and baptizing him in a, in a very convenient pool of water that happened to be nearby in the desert. Um, we discover uh, a little bit, a tiny little bit about Philip's disposition, his background, a little bit about him. We discover that he had a period of preparation. In Acts chapter 6, there's a squabble in church. It would never happen today. But there's a squabble in church over who's getting enough food and, uh, and this would never happen today. But there's this squabble and so the apostles, shrewd group, decide that instead of making the decision, they will appoint a committee to make sure everyone's happy. Uh, this definitely does happen today. So the 12 disciples, verse 2 of chapter 6, Acts 6, 2, they gathered together, all the disciples said, it wouldn't be right for us to do this. Look at verse 3. Brothers, choose seven men from among you uh, who are known, just let's go really slowly over this text, who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we'll give them this job. And then he, we see the names of the people. And if you look at verse 5, you will see Philip is among them. So the first little thing we learn about the task of the evangelist is this. That they are full of the spirit and wisdom. And so sometimes I think uh, you find evangelists who have either one or the other of those qualities. Right? So one person claims to be wise. Well, we need to think about how we share. Needs to be the right time. I don't think it's the time yet. 30 years later, I don't think it's the time. You know. Or they are schooled in apologetics, uh, which, by the way, which isn't, uh, you know, apologizing for being a Christian. It's, it's how to share your faith. They're schooled in it and they, and they know, oh yeah, well this would be a great way to speak to someone of the Muslim faith. Or this is a way to speak to the postmodern professor on his bike, um, you know, going down um, Mill Road. And they're brilliant. But... There's no Holy Spirit on them. There's no boldness on them. And all their brilliance goes to the grave with them. Then on the other hand, you've got those who are filled with the Spirit. And they're on fire. And they're rushing up to people on Mill Road and going, Hey! And this isn't helping much either. Zealous. You know, zealous, on fire, want to just share with everyone, but they, they're not necessarily filled with wisdom. You follow what I mean by that? Now look, if I had to choose, I'd have the spirit-filled one every time, okay? But, let me throw this out to you today. The world, uh, listen to this phrase, tweet it if you want, the world deserves a church 
that is seeking them skillfully. Can I say that again? The world deserves a church that is, let me put it another way, intelligently, strategically, carefully reaching them. There are times when the disciples threw their nets into the water and Jesus commanded fish to come in. But that wasn't how it normally worked. Can you say amen? It normally worked that they were skilled fishermen who knew the type of nets to use, the type of bait to use, the place where the fish might be, and they used to go and fish. Yes? They were skilled fishermen. And so the first thing I think we learn from Philip the Evangelist, just very subtle, he was marked out as someone who was full of the Spirit, but he was also smart. And I want to encourage you to get smart as well as being spiritual. Now the danger is, I remember when I first came to Christ, I gathered all my friends together in some sort of pub in Torquay. And I write, this is it. You're all going to get saved. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and if anyone said they didn't want to get saved, I would say to them, so like, well, you're just full of demons. Can you imagine how I lost all my friends that night? Now look, I was full of zeal, but when it came to wisdom, I was pretty low down on the scale there. I said some stupid things. I don't know if anyone else in this room would be prepared to say that when they have had times of great zeal for Christ, they've said some stupid stuff. Now since that time, I've got smarter. But occasionally I have to say, but has my zeal gone? Right, you with me? And so the goal, the goal for sure, is to retain the zeal and add wisdom to it. And this city will be one as evangelists go not just with the anointing of God, but with some strategic knowledge and wisdom in knowing how to speak to different types of people. Anyway, I'll come back to that in a bit. Number two is the word public. First of all, Philip was a man of preparation. But secondly, we see how he operated in public. Now, I'm going to say something. You'll think, well, this is just, of course, everyone knows this. But I'm not sure everyone really knows it. If you're going to share your faith, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to share your faith. Your faith is not a private matter. It is public knowledge. Yes? And if you're not prepared to move from, well, I, you know, I just, it's just about me and God and no one else has to know. I want to suggest to you, you haven't quite come all the way with Jesus yet. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your electric chair and let's go. That's what he said to them. In the, in the New Testament, if you followed Jesus and you were a Jew, you were thrown out of the synagogue. You were uh, at odds with members of your family. You could risk being arrested by the Romans, etc., etc. And so, I, I know this isn't easy stuff to hear, but let's just say it as it is. All this stuff about, well, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to live out my life in front of people. And they're going to come up to me and go, oh, 
I want to know about God and you seem to have him. This nonsense idea that you can share your faith just by being nice in Tesco. Now, can I just say to you, please do be nice in Tesco. But I have been nice in Tesco for years, for, you know, decades. Decades. And no one has, up until this point, rushed up to me, fallen on the floor, and said, wow, the way you're operating here, what must I do to be saved? There's something about you. What is it? Now, you know, I can understand that you could live your life out in a certain way, maybe at work for a long period of time, among your family for a long period of time, and we'll we'll come back to that in a minute too, where people can see that what you claim is true is also true in your life. But the idea that we're going to walk out of here today and the way we walk down Mill Road People are going to come dashing out of Costa. Wow! What is it about you? It ain't going to happen, sweetheart. You're going to have to make your faith a public matter. Can you say amen? And it might cost you a few friends. Can you say amen? And people will misunderstand you. And you might get a bit unpopular. Now, let me tell you this. You're going to get all the religious Christmas cards that you need. I used to say, you show yourself a Christian and you come off everyone's Christmas card list. No, you don't. You get all the Mary and Joseph Christmas cards that come in the packs of 20. Oh, who can I give this religious one to? Oh, I'll give it to Ida. I'll give it to Jane. I'll give it to Steve. Oh, good. I've got a born-again nutter to give this uh, card to. Right? So you end up with, you know, you end up every time uh, Songs of Praise is on, they send you an email. Oh, it's on. You know, and you get all this... You think, well, it's not really my cup of tea, to be honest. But um. So he was a public person. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel in all ways, and if necessary, use words. That is lovely, but I think it's completely dumb. All right? Sounds good, but we are in the communication business. That's actually the business we're in. I teach at a Bible college, you may know that. And I say to the students, we do a class on preaching. And uh, terrible, I've got thousands of students going out into the world. All their sermons, everything begins with P. And it's all down to me. Eventually, we will run out of words. But not yet. I'll say to them, what business do you think we're in? Are we in the saving business? Actually, no, we're not, are we? Can't save anyone, can we? Are we in the healing business? No. He's the great physician. We're just clay. Right? Are we in the transformation business? The sanctification business? Not really. Only God changes people. But there's one thing he isn't doing that we have to do. We are in the communication business. Communication is our business. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The angel is in the desert. We read it. But the angel can't talk to the eunuch. Philip, go and talk to him. The spirit of God is in the desert. We we read it. But the spirit of God cannot talk to the eunuch. Not in the same way. That Philip has to talk. 
In Acts chapter 10, an angel appears and sends Peter. The, the, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks and different ones gather together. Phil shared on it just a few weeks ago in order for Peter to speak to Cornelius. But the angel is not allowed to share the gospel with Cornelius. The human beings have to do that. Now, what do we learn about Philip and public? We learn this. We learn that he was great among the crowds. Great among the crowds. And we learn that he was great chatting one-on-one with that, with that eunuch, right? Did we read that earlier? In that same chapter, he speaks to the crowds in this big city. Demons are coming out of people. Cripples are walking. Wow. I mean, uh, did anyone get that for YouTube? That would have been, you know, fantastic. So he was great with the crowds. I cannot say this to you. Those days are not gone. Those days are not gone. And we still need to see, out of the body of Christ, raised up, mighty men and women who can preach to thousands and thousands of people. Those days are not gone. I thank God for the mobilization of the body. I thank God that more people are now involved in the work of the ministry. But we still need the Finneys and the Wigglesworths. We still need the Tozers. We still need the Spurgeons. We still need the Billy Grahams. To arise and, and, and have the ability to speak to thousands of people. But guess what? Most of the story that we read this morning involved Philip talking to one person in a chariot. And some of you will know the joy of that experience. It's like this is the best thing that's happened all year. That moment where it's just you and them. And you'll know what it is to be praying, Oh Lord, please get that person out of the room so we can talk together. Have you ever had that experience? I need to talk to this person alone. The joy that he had. And some of you are going to have. So some of you are going to say, Well, I'm not the next Finney. I'm not the next Spurgeon. I'm not the next Billy Graham. Well... But maybe you could be the next Philip. And maybe I could be the next Philip. Sitting and talking with someone. Someone once said this. Preached him many, many years ago. And he he spoke about the difference in court. Between a lawyer and between a witness. And some people are called to be the lawyers in the courtroom. They are called to have incredible knowledge. Oratory. Skill. The ability to build a case and to convince a jury or a judge. Other people just stand in the place and say, well, I don't know everything, but this is what's true for me. And you might not be a brilliant orator. Very few people are. You might not be a great speaker. But do you know what? (laughs) Did you know what? You are a witness. Jesus said uh, to, the, to the group, he didn't really call them preachers. He said, you are my witnesses. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses. Not lawyers. Not necessarily the great orators, although we do need them, but witnesses. So we learn that there was a time of preparation. We learn that there was a time for him to move into the realm of the public. Turn back to Acts chapter 8 if you haven't done already. Number three, we notice the, the miracles and the signs or the power um, ministry. Now, I don't think in this particular church I need to say much about this because I know what a wonderful emphasis it is here. But I just wanted to point out um, verse 6 of Acts 8. Are you reading it with me? When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Right? Could you just park on that verse? They didn't pay close attention to his tie. Hello? <laughs> they didn't pay close attention uh, to his personality or his ministry. But they paid close attention to what he said. And that's exactly what he wanted. He wanted their attention upon what he said to them. And how did he capture their attention through flashing lights, a smoke machine perhaps. No, no, I don't want a church that's controlled by batteries. I don't want a church that's controlled by electricity. I want a church that's under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And here he is, working signs and wonders. Why? So that the people will pay close attention to what he says. Can you see that the power ministry that was flowing through Philip, did it bring joy in the city? Yes. Did it allow people who couldn't walk to walk again? Absolutely. People who were possessed by evil spirits were set free. And that is... Virtuous enough. It's not a special effect to impress people. It's God setting people free because of his passion. But note why the evangelist puts this ministry into action. So that people will listen to what he has to say. Now here's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. Because there is a place to know how to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit in mission. But there's equally a place to know what to do when it works. And what to say. So you can see, and many of you will, this coming week. On the streets of this great city. People will be cured because this is what Jesus always does. But then here's the question. What are we going to do now? Say, isn't that great? Bye. You know, isn't that marvelous? Why don't you tweet that? Bye-bye. No. The purpose of the miraculous is so we can capture the attention of these people 
And now they pay close attention to what we have to say. Yes? The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues. And Peter stood up and said. "Uh, Where's this in the Bible? No, he said this is that which was written by the prophet Joel. And here's chapter and verse for you all. All right? Are you with me? He stood up and was able now to preach to this crowd of people. And so I want to encourage you wholeheartedly. Get those miracles pumping. I bet the devil hates Tuesday night. If you really want to upset the devil, just say these words. Kings on the street. And he'll start getting a migraine and he'll reach for his antidepressants and he'll grab his stick. He won't like that at all. But listen, listen guys. When those miracles happen, that's the point where you need to have a message. That's the point where you need to talk about the God of heaven and hell. The God of life and death. The God of mercy and justice. So the people will say, what must I do to be saved? And so some people in here might be a bit better at explaining the gospel than others. And other people in here might just be crazy and just look at people and go, right, you can't walk, stand up. But actually, what I'm trying to say today is we need to have both of these abilities. You need to be crazy and smart. Yes. That's what I'm saying. You need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. The power of the Holy Spirit. When I was in Brazil, preaching in Brazil, I noticed that the meetings went on quite long. Now, I know some of you think that Pentecostal meetings in Britain go on quite long. Some of you from from other nations know that this is merely a house group, a general introduction. And I used to preach in these big places in uh, Brazil and they would keep the restaurants open about one o'clock in the morning. We would stagger into some place. And all I wanted to do was go to bed. You understand? I don't want to eat, but, oh, brother, we kept the restaurant open. Oh, brother, I'm really hungry then. Bring it on. I don't think it. I just want to go to bed. I'm getting up at six to go somewhere else. And I'm sitting there one o'clock in the morning eating meat and rice and coke. But I knew these meetings went on long. And so what I used to do is, I used to take hold of the microphone about 8, 8.30 at night. And I'd say, now I'm going to preach the gospel to you tonight. But just before I do, let me demonstrate to you now the power of the Holy Spirit. And I used to call a few people. I did this every night, every single night. Got used to being bold, I guess. And I just called a few people out. I said, now the Lord will heal them. And praise God, the Lord did heal them. And then I preached. Because now I have their attention. You understand? Now, I'm already authenticated. You say, well, doesn't the Bible say signs follow the word? No, it doesn't. It says they accompany the word. And very often you find in the New Testament there's a miracle and then they preach. That's certainly what happened in Acts chapter 3. So, here's my encouragement to you. Be full of the Spirit. Be full of wisdom. When you go and work those wonders on the streets, or in your workplace, or in your family, 
You be ready with the gospel message. Hot on the heels of that. This is why you've been cured. The son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. His name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. You thought that painful elbow was your problem. It's not. Your real problem is that you're a sinner and you need the mercy of God. You understand? This is the message of the gospel. Hallelujah. Everyone happy? Three to go. Take a deep breath. Preparation, public power, preaching. Let's think about his preaching. What do we know that he said to these people? Have you ever wondered whether the gospel you're preaching is the same gospel that Peter and Paul and John and Philip was preaching? Now, I could talk for a very long time about this, so I won't. But it's a real area of study and I encourage you to just work out, not from your favorite podcast, not from your favorite preacher on God TV or TBN or whatever, but work out from the book of Acts. What did the apostles actually preach to people when they preached the gospel to them? And again, time... um, prevents me unpacking it, but you might be quite surprised. They certainly don't tell them God's got a wonderful plan for your life. They don't tell them that if you come to Jesus, you'll be happy. In fact, they tell them if you come to Jesus, you might get arrested tomorrow. So the odds were against them, you know, making converts. And they could not offer them a coffee machine at any of their means. No free DVDs were given. Uh, it was a very different world. What do we learn about what Philip preached? Well, look in your Bible. Look in your Bible. And Acts chapter 8, we learn in verse 8, that whatever he preached, it brought people great joy. Right? Can you see that in your Bible? Brought people great joy. Now, this needs to be just kept in close connection with another verse Uh, which is verse 12, it says that they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God uh, and the name of Jesus Christ. Now this is all all the clues we have other than one other. Other than one other. Which is this, that every time he preached and people got saved, Something happened, and I tried to emphasize it as I read the passage so that it wouldn't be a surprise to you. They were all baptized. Now, in the, uh, in the first century, to be baptized was to put yourself in the firing line a bit again. It was to separate yourself from Judaism. It was to separate yourself from the Roman religion. You were in a lot of trouble if you got baptized. Now, today... The only trouble is people feel that they're getting a bit too wet or their photograph didn't look good enough for Facebook or something like this. Oh, I look awful. The, 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 the towel is the wrong color to go with my top. And I have been to a few baptisms 
where, and I guess you have too. And I, now, be careful as I say this. I'm not being too unkind. I'm just trying to present a picture for you. Where I wasn't really sure that the people being baptized really fully understood what was going on. Now, when you're a new Christian, please understand, of course you don't know everything that's going on. I fully get that. But one thing you have to know about baptism is that you are dying to your old way of life. It's a burial service. Now today, it just looks like a photo opportunity and some lemon cake to finish. For some, oh, I've got to bring my friends along. I want to be baptized. In I go. In the drink, out the drink. Do I really have to go in the water? It's going to ruin this suit. You know, people use it in this very odd way. And in the New Testament, of course, it would never have happened inside a church building. It would have happened in the river. Right? So never mind, am I going to get water in my mouth? Am I going to get a fish in my mouth? Would be, uh, <laughs> you know. Today, many modern Christians would go down and would go, has this river been sterilized? <laughs> I, I, I'm only prepared to be baptized if it's mineral water, you know. And there was no one on the bank clapping and saying, come over here. Let's have some, let's have some lemon cake now with you. Take a picture for Facebook. There it is. Yeah. Now, please, I'm not making fun of this. Of course, we should celebrate everyone who gets baptized. And by all means, get it on Facebook everywhere. But as long as we know what it's really all about, it's really all about dying to our old way of life. A baptism is a funeral. Your own, your own funeral. You organize it. Right? Some people want to organize their own funeral. Well, get baptized and you can. Organize your funeral. Get in the water. Now, you say, well, yeah, you know, I have. But let me remind you today, because that's what Paul does actually in the book of Romans chapter 6. He doesn't tell people to be baptized. He assumes they all have been and he reminds them why. So actually, it's okay for me to remind you, the reason you were baptized, you remember being baptized? You were baptized because you said, I'm dead from now on. It's not my life now, it's his. Right? It's not my life, it's his. And so something that Philip was preaching brought this reaction out of people, didn't it? So much so, That Philip doesn't say to the eunuch, look, there's some water. The eunuch says, let's stop this journey now. I need to get in that river. Yep. Wasn't Philip going, look, why don't you come? We're doing it in three weeks time. We'll get a photographer. The eunuch says, stop the chariot. I need to get in the water. What was happening in that? I mean, I, mean I, I don't want to write things into the Bible that aren't there. But something must have happened inside that man's heart that said, I need to get saved now. And I need, I, it needs to happen now. I don't want to take your card and see you next week. I'm not waiting for you to follow me up. I'm following you up. Right? Can you say Amen. That's nothing against follow-up. But when people get saved, they follow you up. They follow you up. 
If you ever go around saying, now you know you gave your life to Jesus, would you ever consider maybe taking that seriously? I'd like to follow you up. I'm here to follow. Now, please, we're here to make disciples. So actually, there's a lot to be said about following people up. Because we're here not just to make decisions, but we're here to make disciples. Now, that may involve follow-up. But if we preach the gospel properly, from day one, maybe they start following us up. Maybe that which is written in Acts will be fulfilled today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They weren't told they would get a free bit of cake if they came. They devoted themselves. So Philip was a preacher. And his preaching brought joy. It brought the kingdom of God. And it brought the name of Jesus Christ. I'll just throw this in for free. I know you know it, but I'll just say, we are not here to get people to believe in God. We are, get, we are here to get people to understand that God has a son and his name is Jesus and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. So it's not quite the same thing. Even the demons believe in God. And that brings us on to number five. Progression. Progression. All of the converts were baptized. Now, I'm not quite making the same point. The point I want to make here is that he really did bring them all the way through. Bringing people all the way through is tricky. People have said, let me just talk to you a minute. If people have believed sort of the wrong things for so long, then it might take a little while for them to start to believe other things. So, let me give you an example of this. In Acts chapter 2, everyone who attends that meeting in Acts 2 where thousands are saved, they are all Jews, they are all religious people. But in Acts 18, when Paul goes to Athens, and Acts 17, he goes to Athens, he goes to Corinth, now he's among the Greeks, and particularly when he's in Athens, his message is slower and he invites them to think about what he's saying. So I want to say this, people sometimes do need to go on a journey and we need to allow them to do that. And I believe that many missional approaches in the UK have seen that maybe under God's uh, uh, you know, um, inspiration. And so now people, you know, now they do Alpha for 10 weeks or they do Christianity Explored. And we've got much more of a journey thing going on. And I understand why it is, because some of the people that we are sharing our faith with, they, some of the, you understand, they've never heard of this before. 50 years ago, everyone was in Sunday school, and you were really, really plucking fruit from where someone else had sown seed 50 years before. But today, we are in, uh, I don't want to call it a post-Christian era, I'm going to call it a pre-Christian era. We're ready for something to change. But people do need to go on the journey. So I want to say that to you. But let's just be clear. What Philip was after was absolute conversions to the Christian faith. 
And every time, you, you can read back through it later, Acts chapter 8, every time he preaches, whenever it says people respond, he baptizes them. Now, I'm not talking now about magic water. I'm not talking now about ceremonies. What I mean is, they came to the point of life-changing decisions. That's not the same as saying, someone, saying to someone in the street, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Yes, say this prayer. That's, that's not the same. And uh, there was, a, again, with my students, uh, I, do a, I do a study, one of the studies we do on modern gospel preaching. And uh, again, I, I want to be careful because anyone who's out trying to share their faith deserves a big cheer from all of us. And we should go and join them. But any gospel that just really goes up to people in the street and says, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Yes, say this prayer. Amen. Right, you're now a Christian. Is really not doing a proper job. In fact, you may in fact be creating uh, false conversions which make people harder to reach later on. Because they already tried being born again and it didn't work. You know, or, you know, some such thing. So I want to encourage you. And the reason I'm saying this is not because uh, in this particular church these things aren't happening. It's because, it's really because they are. (laughs) It's really because they are. But to say to you, our goal is not to get decisions. It really is to get disciples. And I'm not suggesting that that's easy. I'm not suggesting that that can happen just overnight. The people in Acts chapter 2 were very religious people and they were ready for the gospel. Other people are ready to begin the journey to come towards Jesus. And we need to build bridges to them. But progression. Philip took them all the way. You want to get saved? Great. Here's the water. In you go. And again, we're not talking now about water. We're talking about commitment. They were baptized into the body of of Christ. Finally, it's always a great word in a sermon. Finally, private. Let's look at one more verse, and it's in Acts 21. We began by talking about how Philip had a time of preparation. He was wise. We also know that he knew the scriptures because when he jumps into the chariot and the eunuch says, What does this verse mean? He's got an answer. He didn't think that learning the Bible was a waste of time. Can you say amen? And all he needed was the Holy Ghost. He knew that he needed the scriptures. I said maybe a year ago here in some other stuff I was doing, but sometimes people just need us to answer their questions. What does this mean, the eunuch says. And sometimes people are just waiting for us To answer their questions. The eunuch comes to Christ when he has received satisfactory answers to his questions. Now the Holy Spirit is moving. But the eunuch does not shriek. A demon doesn't come out of him and his crippled legs are not cured. What happens to the eunuch is he gets answers to his questions and so he gets saved. You should be encouraged by that. Because we can find the answers to people's questions. They may not always be satisfied with them. I I understand. 
So we began by talking about how he was a person of wisdom and the spirit. Now let's finish by going home with him. And I want you to see that Philip was not fake. But everything he was in public, he was in private. How do we know that? How can you possibly know that? I guess we can't know it for sure. But we can know this. That his own family wanted Jesus as well. Look at Acts 21. Paul is traveling and they're in Caesarea. Look at verse 8. Leaving the next day, we reach Caesarea. That's Paul. Luke is traveling with him here. And we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. One of the seven. That means the seven servants that helped those widows back in Acts chapter 6. And look what it says. Verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So here was someone. Now I understand that. There are times when, as parents, of course, we cannot govern our children to follow Jesus Christ. I I fully understand that. But what we can know is that Philip wasn't one thing in public and then a real fake in private. Because his daughters, who, by the way, would have known him better than the eunuch, better than the crowds in Samaria, and better than the apostles in Acts chapter 6. Who knows you better than members of your own family? I'm not sure who. I'm not sure who. And these four girls saw in him something so real that they wanted it as well. Now let's go back to what we said at the beginning. People don't run up to us and go, oh, there's something about you. But over a period of time, people can become attracted to the Jesus that's in you, by looking at the way you live your life. Now here we're talking about four girls in his house, but it could be four people you work with. It could be four members of your extended family. But even as we're thinking today, right here in his house, he had the Holy Spirit moving in the crowds, In one-to-one evangelism. And the best place of all. Home. Why do we come to church? To meet with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit wants to move just as powerfully in our home. Or in our car. We nearly crashed a few times getting here today. God doesn't want to be the God on the streets. Only. Or the God in the church only. He wants to be a God who goes home with us. And look what's happening in his home. Guys, he's not just living with four women. Presumably five women because of his wife. But they all got the word of the Lord. I mean, you know, the Lord helped this guy. He's not going to get far, is he? (laughs) And I want you to think about the anointing of God that was in his house. Because now we're going to glue something together that maybe you've never seen before. Look at verse 10. Now, 
Verse 9 and verse 10 are together. Right? 10 comes after 9. I am an educated man. I know that. (laughs) They go to the home of Philip the evangelist. And he says, oh, these are my daughters. Paul, this is my daughter, I don't know, Agatha. Say hello, Agatha. Well, behold, the Lord saith unto thee, Paul. Oh, great. This is Sally. Hello, Sally. Hello, Paul. And behold, I say unto thee. (laughs) Because I'm sure they would have spoken in King James language. (laughs) But look at verse 10. After we had been there. Where? In that house. A number of days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So this famous scene where Agabus delivers to Paul this incredible prophecy occurred in the house of Philip the Evangelist. You say, well, what's the significance of that? What we're saying, this was good soil for the presence of God. And I want to suggest to you the reason why, or one of the reasons why Philip was successful in his ministry was because the presence of God was in his family and in his house. He hadn't just been to Bible college, good though that is. He hadn't just been to some seminary where he knew how to preach, good though that is. He hadn't just received the baptism in the Holy Spirit at a conference, good though that is. The power of the Holy Spirit was on him because the power of the Holy Spirit was in his house. Can you say amen? Is the power of the Holy Spirit in your house? Well, it certainly can be. It doesn't take very much. Just an open heart that says we need to get some of this trash out of our house that the Holy Spirit doesn't like. And by the way, I'm not necessarily talking about objects. I'm talking about attitudes. You can throw idols out but still have a rotten, stinking attitude (laughs) and allow the Holy Spirit to be there. The power of God was in his house. Woo! So much so that these girls kept having the breath of God come on them and in them. And the word of God just kept tumbling out of their mouths. And then Agabus shows up and starts taking off people's belts. You want to hope it really is God when people start taking off their belts. So the secret of his, the secret of his power, if you like, wasn't just something that happened in a meeting. But it was something that was permanently happening inside his home. Now, I know that in our homes, these are the places where we are most real. Sometimes these are the places where we are at our worst. I understand that. Okay, so just everyone relax. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a place where we take off our spiritual shoes. We should be the same all the time. I'm astonished when people say things like, oh, that preacher, he's so nice, or she's so nice, whatever. They're exactly the same off the stage as they are on it. And I want to think, well, they should be. That shouldn't be a merit. We're not looking for fake. We're looking for the authentic, aren't we? I want to encourage you today. I draw this to a close, and I hope you got something out of it. I want to encourage you today with the life of Philip the Evangelist. Among these six words that I brought to you this morning, I want to ask you whether any of these are more, some will be more applicable to you than others. 
But let me just say them again. Preparation. Are you ready, not just with the anointing, but with wisdom when it comes to sharing your faith? And you really, really can be. It doesn't take very much to be ready. Number two, public. Have you gone public with your Christian faith? Really, there's no such thing as a secret Christian. You say, well, there is because I'm one. Okay. But really, there isn't. And in public, whether that's the crowd or whether that's one-on-one, we should do the work of an evangelist. Number three, power. We want to see these miracles happen. But note the way Philip facilitates those miracles so that the people will listen carefully to what he has to say. So once again, we come back to wisdom and the spirit. Number four, once again, wisdom and the spirit. His role in preaching. He speaks about the kingdom of God. He speaks about Jesus. There's much joy that's left by his ministry. But the goal seems to be repentance because the people get themselves baptized, putting an end to their old way of life. Progression. The evangelist doesn't want to just have people say a prayer. He wants to see them come all the way through into full membership of the body of Christ. And of course, as I've said, that's easier said than done, I accept. But let's at least understand that that's our goal. And number six, privacy or private. He was just the same when he was with his family. Or let me throw this out, when he was at work among people who knew him, he was just the same. And the power of the Holy Spirit was constantly flowing in his private life. I suggest to you, this is why it was flowing in his public life. Friends, do the work of an evangelist. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.